I'm Joel Hilton. And I'm Melody Hilton. And I'm Katie Stansfield. And welcome to another episode of Life Exchange. That was like the old fashioned, you know, how people sit in the same seat. They go to church, they sit in the same seat, and then one Sunday they choose to sit in a different seat. That's kind of what just happened right now. Why? Do, Why do, do people you not do that? usually start? No, I never start. Oh, I thought you did. No. She was in the middle and I'm always last. We can see how much Katie listens to the podcast. <laughs> I know where I'm at. I'm always the last one. So, <laughs> Well, next one, you'll have to be the first one. <laughs> Promise? No. <laughs> I'm the last one because I will. I intro the, the rest of the episode. So. She tries to make it more relational and we just get right just, into the I'm topic. I'm better at it. Just say I'm better at it. <laughs> You're better at it. <laughs> Thank you. And we don't want to do it. <laughs> and I don't think the listeners want us to do it either. Uh, yeah, we could try, but I think we've figured this out enough. All right. Well, here we go. We're going to talk about three different questions today if we get to all three of them. Um, but the first one is, uh, can you really be a friend of God? And what does that look like? And I actually just preached a sermon um, that was called um, Friendship with the Holy Spirit. I had to think of what I titled it. Friendship with the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit is God. Um, And so do I believe that you can actually be a friend of God? I do. Um, You can listen to that message if you'd like to to learn my longer perspective on this. Um, But I think for me, I just always... Um, hold intention that God is a holy God as much as he is a loving uh, personal God. Um, And I think that's where, especially in different camps of religion, it can be really one way or the other where, well, God is my friend, I can do whatever I want or the other side of God is holy and uh, I need to to keep a safe, uh, holy distance from him. And I think he is both of those things. Uh, And there's just so much about a God who created the universe with the sound of his voice that we cannot wrap our finite understanding around. Um, But I just look at uh, scripture, which is our... our, what we have from him uh, in in word form. And I just see, and the passage I just love is the, the chapters when Jesus is going to the cross and you just see um, the real personal heart of Jesus um, in those chapters. And one thing that he says is he talks a lot about being a friend. You know, you are my friend um, or the, the greatest love of all is that you would lay down your life for your friends. And he's speaking that to his friends, knowing He's about to lay down his life for them. Um, and But he had that friendship with them. But then just in that same section, it says, you are my friends if you do what I command. And I think if you try to separate those two, um, you only see one side of God or one, one facet of who he is. Um, but really when we truly love him, when we know him as a friend, we will know that he is always, always, always out for our very best beyond what we will ever understand. And so um, am I his friend only if I do what he commands me to do? If I say it in that tone, 
then I'm thinking, well, you know, that doesn't sound like a friend. That sounds like he's my master and he's commanding me. But if I really know his heart, if I am friends with him to the intimate point that I know his intentions, then I'll do whatever he commands me to do because I know that it that he is love, that he is um, always leading my life in a good direction. So I think the more that you get to know um, God as a friend, the more you can trust his commands, the more you can trust his heart and his intentions. So I already told you that I preached a message on this, so I could clearly talk about it for a long time, but I will pass the ball over to one of you who wants to Well, you you talked about the one scripture, you know, I call you friends if you do what I command Mm -hmm. you, but the very next verse says, I don't call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's doing. So he says, we're friends because uh, I want you to know what I'm doing. I want you to know my heart. I want you uh, to know the father's heart. He said, instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. So the knowledge that he has gained from the Father, the heart, the nature, the character, that has been woven into Jesus, correct? Mm -hmm. And from that place, he wants to give us that. He wants that, quote unquote, exchange of life. Mm -hmm. And I looked up the definition of friend and it's one attached to another by affection and Mm -hmm. esteem. And all we have to do is look at the work of Jesus and we can clearly see how his heart yeah. is his uh, his affection is towards us so much so that he laid down his life for us mm-hmm. and then if we become a friend of god we esteem him highly mm-hmm. we we have an affection for him and if you truly love someone deeply you're going to care about their heart you're going to care about their purpose you're going to care about partnering with them and so there's this awesome relationship that we have as sons and daughters of the living God. And it's really birthed out of this friendship, this affection that we have. And yes, there's things that we do because if I love somebody, it's going to be a reflection. You're going to see it by what I do, but it's sourced from relationship. It's sourced from a, a place so deep within our hearts that I use my definition for the fear of the Lord, I don't want to do anything that hurts his heart. Mm -hmm. And if I really truly have a friend, if I truly love someone, I don't want to do anything that hurts their heart. Mm -hmm. And I know my God and he would never do anything to hurt mine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just look, so it's John 13 through 17, if you want to read this passage we're referring to. Um, But there's just so much we don't understand all the time. But I just look in um, John chapter 13, very, very loose <laughs> paraphrase, but um, Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. And Peter, uh, Jesus' friend, Peter says, no, 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 I should be washing your feet. You know, um, you, you shouldn't be doing mm-hmm. this. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then you're not a part of me. And Peter turns around and he goes, if that's the case, then wash my head and my hands also. You can, I will, whatever you require of me, whatever you uh, need me to do, in order to, uh, for me to be friends with you, I'll do it. I will do whatever you ask. And that just shows that when you know someone's heart for you, um, you will, you'll do whatever they ask you to do because you know um, the depth of that, that intimacy that, that is available uh, in that connection. So, Well, I'll add by going back to the question, is it possible to be a friend of God? 
Yes. <laughs> Why? Because the scripture says so. Yeah. Then the next question was, what does it look like? Well, and I think that's a great question mm. because being a friend of God looks quite different than our modern interpretation of what it really means yeah. to be a friend. Mm -hmm. And I would say the biggest difference to being a friend of God does not mean that he is our peer. Right. Okay. Like in our modern interpretation is if we're friends, we're on the same level. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. are not equal. Yeah. We can be a friend of God and still not be his peer. So I think that's an important thing to focus on. And you guys said, you know, you guys were kind of preaching my sermon anyway, <laughs> so I won't go into, into those things again because I thought you said them really well. But what are some things that define what a friendship with God looks like? Well, the first one is friendship is developed through intentional open communication. Yeah. And mm -hmm. in Exodus thirty three eleven, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Mm -hmm. And you can see this in the life of Moses, that Moses had very real, honest conversations with the Lord. They mm -hmm. were open, they were real, they were honest, and they were very vulnerable. Another aspect, when you look at the relationship that Moses had with God, and you can see this in Psalms 103.7, he made known his ways to Moses, yeah. his deeds to the people of Israel. Yeah. So Moses knew God on an intimate level because he had um, a pathway to understanding. He had a pathway to transparency. Like you said, it was in John 15. Now you are my friend since I have told you everything the father told me. And right yeah. before that, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. So what is an aspect of being a friend of God is his heart understanding and transparency is available to those who seek, knock, and ask, Yeah. right? So the first one is, what does a friendship with God look like? Honest, real, open communication with our Father. The next mm -hmm. one is, friendship is established through agreement. Now, that's kind of quite different than our modern interpretation of what a friend is. In mm. James 2, 23, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God yeah, yes. and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Yeah. So Abraham came into agreement with God. So when God spoke something, Abraham had faith for it and he was called a friend of God. So being a friend of God requires agreement. Well, and further in that, in that, um, reference of Abraham. That was said of Abraham after Abraham took God at his word to mm -hmm. take his promised son yeah. and to sacrifice his life. Mm -hmm. Abraham trusted God's intentions so much that he was willing to sacrifice his son to do something we would think a friend would never ask of us. Mm -hmm. But Abraham trusted God's heart. He knew God enough that he knew that if God was asking that of him, that it was for his good. And after that, Abraham was called a friend of God. So good. So yeah, well, like what you were saying in, in our modern thinking of what a friendship is, is that um, that it makes sense to us. Or <laughs> Well, being a friend of God does not diminish his authority. Yeah. Right. Yep. I think sometimes we, we or people 
connect those two together. Well, I'm a friend, so I kind of just do what I want to do. Yeah. Actually, he said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Mm-hmm. Now he's saying this to a group of people that knew what it meant to follow rules. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he said, Hey, if you're going to follow my rules or if you're going to uh, obey what I command you, it better be from a place of love and not obligation. Mm-hmm. But you can also look at that verse in another way. If you love me, if you say that you love me, then you have to also be connected to what I command you to do. And so I, I think that's the part that I really want to just reiterate. Just because you're a friend of God does not mean that you're his peer. Mm-hmm. And so being a friend of God does not just, diminish his authority in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I have an awesome quote from Oswald Chambers in My Utmost for His Highest uh, Uh devotional. He said, the most important aspect of Christianity is not the work we do, but the relationship we maintain with God and the surrounding influence and qualities produced by that relationship. So the more connected I am to my God in friendship with that you know, attention and that uh, being attached to him and having esteem for him. Basically, it's manifested in all that I do. So when you look at my life, somebody else can look in and say, they are a friend of God. They Mm -hmm. love God. They value, they esteem God. And I can see it through their attitudes and their actions, through their lifestyle. And when we model that, we really demonstrate that we are a friend of God Mm -hmm. because we're, we're not connected him just so we get what we want. You know, so he's just the promise giver, but no, it's a, a heart relationship that's so deep that I'm willing to sacrifice some things, mm-hmm. just like you use said, Katie, sacrifice if he gives, if he tells me to do that, because I love that because I know his heart, I know his intentions, mm-hmm. and I know that he has only good in mind. Yeah. That's friendship, really. Wow. If you think a friend with our creator. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. It's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, he said, as the father loved me, I love you. Yeah. Now love one another. Yeah. And I just love that because he's saying, if you know me, if you know my love, you're going to be my love. You're going to demonstrate that. And so the more we are a friend of God, the more we know him, the more we're going to be like him. Um, We're going to do what he does. We're going to do what he commands us to, what he asks us to do but we're going to be a reflection of who he is. Um, And so again. Well, I was also, you know, I use that scripture verse where it talked about Moses, that, that God made known his ways to Moses. So he, Moses had understanding, he had clarity, he had communication with the Lord. So it says, he made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. So Israel only related to God by what he did for them. And actually when God showed up, Israel said, actually, can you just deal with Moses? Uh, They were afraid, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes even in our modern culture or in religious circles, people feel safer in a slave mentality, mm-hmm. right? It's easier for them. A slave is like, you tell me what to do and I do it, mm-hmm. right? But Jesus is saying, that's not how our relationship works. Yeah. I call you a friend. That means I 
give my heart to you. I open understanding to you. And that, you know, like I said, sometimes because of our experience, we feel safer in the aspect of slave master relationship. But Jesus says, there's a deeper relationship that I have for you Mm -hmm. uh, more than just go here, do this, say this very robotic. Yeah. Uh, Our, the life that we have is, is the life that we have with our creator is vibrant and full and um, scary at times. Yeah. But if we trust him, you know, it's going to, we're going to really taste the fruit of the life that he has yeah. given I, to us. I love that you use the word trust because I think that is foundational to every friendship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That uh, So if we apply that to our friendship with God, I trust him with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my might, mind, and strength. But... I also want to be that one that he trusts. And if we're really a friend of God, uh, we will be those that are trustworthy. Well, and I think also if if it's a really intimate friendship, they get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly parts mm. of you. And um, that is, it's the most vulnerable. It's the most scary. But if you look at even Adam and Eve, they walked with the spirit of God in the garden fully known, fully known. And when they sinned, they hid from God. And I think sometimes we think in order to be in friendship with God, we have to be perfect first um, to even go before him or to speak with him or, uh, and instead we hide and we try to cover it up um, or we we lie about it or um, we go and try to fix it all before we go before him. But that's not really what a friendship is. I know for me, my closest friends, they're the ones that get to hear the not pretty parts of my life. <laughs> and so I think that's also an important aspect of our friendship with God. If it's a true friendship, um, I trust him with the deepest, darkest parts of me too. Um, and when I do that, there that trust is built um, that I can... I know what he's like when I'm not perfect. I know what he's like when I've done wrong. I know what he's like when he corrects me. Um, Rather than having this idea of what he might be like, I know what he's like. And so I'm not afraid to go before him because I've already done it. I've already, I already know what it's like. I know that when he corrects me, it's in kindness and not in, um, and not in condemnation. Um, And so I can have that full friendship with him, not just in the good times, but in the bad times and the hard times as well. Actually, I love his correction. Yeah. Because there's this grace that gives you the ability to respond to it, which transforms how we think, how we feel, what we do. And it was because his correction is a course direction. It's like almost if you think about a GPS, if I'm moving left and I should have turned right, I so need that correction because I know he'll keep me on path. He'll get me to my destination. And when I feel that correction, to me, it is, it is, invigorating. Yeah. It was like, I feel so loved yeah. because I recognize he spoke into me something that could sabotage me. Mm-hmm. And there is an ability when he reveals it just to step out of that and walk in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I love the correction of God. All right. Anything further on this topic before we move on? 
It's a pretty vast topic. It is. But I think we we hit the main <laughs> We did points. enough for today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, question number two, which I'm going to let one of you start with. So be oh prepared. <laughs> I started the last one. Um, but this question came from a listener and it says, how do you find and sustain rhythm for life and your personal purpose? Okay, I'll start. Great. Or I'll try to start. <laughs> so first... You must decompartmentalize your life. And uh, compartmentalize means to divide into sections or categories. So you have your church life, you Mm. have your parenting life, you have your ministry life, you have your work life, you have your passion part of your life, all et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if we are going to have a rhythm in life, we have to decompartmentalize. I find that you'll never find a rhythm for life if you are living in that type of mentality. Like this is this part of my life. This is this part of my life. Because guess what? One of those parts of your life are going to jump out and trip you at some time, at some point. They're going to jump out and demand attention. And so if we are going to find a rhythm and a groove, right? If we're going to find a groove, we have to kind of find like, in music, there's like a metronome or there's like, there's a rhythm or there's a groove that, that we align to. And so what is that for us? Well, that's our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I've talked about this before, but you know, I don't, I don't think of life in, in like, um, or I don't order my life in a, in a hierarchy type of way. I I view Jesus as a center and Mm -hmm. then everything I do Uh, revolves around that. And so sometimes things will come in focus, some things will come out of focus. Um, And I think that's how you find rhythm. You you Mm. attach yourself to the ultimate heartbeat, the ultimate rhythm, which is the heartbeat of God. Mm. In Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, I, I don't believe that there's a hierarchy. I believe that it's Jesus. Jesus is our focus. Jesus is our attention. Jesus is the one that we revolve around. He's our attention. And then from that, you can find rhythm. Because like I said, if you try to live your life with all these sep- separate categories, eventually they're going to collide mm-hmm. rather than just keeping your eyes focused on him. The, the rest of that question was, and your personal purpose. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I've discovered is my purpose is found in his purpose. Mm-hmm. And just as we were talking about, you know, being a friend of God, the more I am aware of who God is and the relationship that we have, I literally can discover not just what I'm called to do as far as an action of purpose, but the who I am, what I'm to become, uh, the purpose of Melody Hilton, not just what Melody Hilton does, but who Melody Hilton is. And so when I can find that, sustaining that is the other part of the Mm -hmm. question that I think it's important to get into. But I think the first thing is to say, what is God's purpose? Mm -hmm. If I can see his, I can see my role 
in his purpose. And when that's discovered, I recognize, and I'm not compartmentalizing my life because mm-hmm. I am who I am based upon God's purpose in my life. And I'm the exact same person in the marketplace arena that I am in the ministry arena, that I am with my kids, that I am with anyone. It's like, well, that's mom, you know, it's just, this is who she is. That's Melody. And I might package things differently. I might communicate more heart things differently, but the fact is I am who I am. So if I try to have a different purpose in all those areas, boy, that's a whole lot of trying to figure out Mm -hmm. how do I fit here and how do I fit there rather than just being who God created me to be. So that's, that's a way to really sustain our personal purpose is just everything that you said, Joel, along with recognizing that I need to just be who I am in all those areas. And I think we get frustrated in life when I look at one role of my life and I have to put on this mask Mm -hmm. or this facade. And then I go to another, well, now I have to look like this or act like this. And now this is how I behave differently there or whatever. And it's like, that is just too much to figure out. It's just so much better to be very aware of who you are and what God's called you to do. And then it's so much easier to sustain. Sustaining things are harder than obtaining. (laughs) Obtaining something is actually easy, but maintaining it and sustaining it, hey, it was easy to get married, wasn't it, Joel? Maintaining that, you know, over 22 years, is that right, Joel, this year? you be married Somewhere. 22? <laughs> Somewhere in there. Uh, something like that. I mean, that's a lot more effort. You know, deciding you're going to have a baby and then caring for that baby, uh, there, you know, it's, yeah. it's different. Mm-hmm. And it might, be, it might be harder, but what happens, the more I stay invested into sustaining those purposes in my life, the fulfillment increases and it multiplies on the inside of us. It is worth anything of value is totally, completely worth our investment. Now, I do believe that personal purpose, and we kind of talked about this a long, long time ago, ancient Life Exchange podcast, but I think you can get off a little bit if you just focus on personal purpose Mm -hmm. because we don't, we live in a vacuum. We don't live in a bubble. We don't live on some deserted island. We have actually have to do life with people. And so could you imagine if, you know, we were trying to dance with someone and one was um, dancing to a ballad and the other one was dancing to, (laughs) you know, some fast paced tempo song, it would be chaotic and dysfunctional and a a hot mess. Right. (laughs) And so I, I think, you know, I, I do think that there is value in personal purpose. Um, but like I said, we, we don't live in a bubble, mm-hmm. you know, and we have to actually work with, with those around us. You know, uh, your purpose is never separate from people, especially if you're in the kingdom of God. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In the kingdom of God, it's yeah. more than just you. It's yeah. more than just your specific, like when I think about it, like so much emphasis is on personal purpose, which is kind of funny because like I said, we don't live in isolation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have to do life 
with people and with, you know, systems and and stuff like that. So, you know, when I would, I I think we can find rhythm in our own quote unquote personal life by learning to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. But that's, that's the metronome for how we do life well with people too. Mm -hmm. Like if we're all on the same page, following the same lead of the Holy Spirit, I believe that it's going to be more congruent than Mm -hmm. just us trying to fill our own personal agenda or well, personal purpose. Our personal, a true personal purpose ultimately isn't for us anyway. It's it's to give to others. It's to invest into others. You might want to say that again because I don't think people understand that. <laughs> yeah. Well when you mean your personal purpose isn't about you? Exactly. It's it's what I have, what God placed inside of me to For give away. For the benefit away. of all. Uh, uh, that's right. Mm-hmm. And what what's our gifts? If you look at the gifts of the Spirit, all the gifts of the Spirit are for us to give away. Mm-hmm to be an encouragement to someone else, whether that's in ministry, in marketplace, with our children, with our spouse, with our friends, whatever it is, it's something that I get to give. So Mm -hmm. if I can become confident in purpose, if I can become confident in what God's placed inside of me, I can give that to anybody, Mm -hmm. wherever I'm at, wherever I go, it becomes you know, an expression of who I am. So really, life is not all about me. Life is about what I get to give away. And since I was using the example of the music, you know. Which I know nothing about music. (laughs) I will add, like, I'm not saying we all have to think the same. Like, Scripture talks about being in harmony with one another. Well, harmony is three different frequencies or how many different frequencies coming together that sound very differently, but come together uh, to so make good. harmony or a chord. Yeah, so so I'm not saying that we're, we're in complete agreement to be in harmony. It just means that our frequencies fit so together good. because we know the key. The key is the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if we all align to the key quote unquote of the song, then we can fit together in harmony because our our goal or our target is the leading in the direction of the Holy Spirit. Well, and I think also a a, perp- a personal purpose can have those multiple frequencies. Yeah. They can so actually flow together. And I want to go back to this question because I know the person who asked this question. And I think what they're... So this person um, is a father of four little kids and also running uh, their own business and trying to do both. How do I have a rhythm of being a good husband and a good father and also being a good businessman and, um, you know, and having this outlet for my creativity, having this outlet for my purpose, creating income for my family. How do I balance all of those things? And I think um, that's where that multi-tonal beauty can really come in because you're uh, speaking to this person or whoever you are, your purpose to be a father, to be a husband, to be a creative, to be a businessman is all different facets of your personal purpose. So does it mean that when you are focusing on one area, um, the other is not purpose? No, it's all your purpose. And so 
Um, finding that rhythm of how to get it all done, I think that's a different um, thing. I know for me, I just realized more and more, I have enough passions and dreams and ambitions to live five lifetimes. <laughs> and how do I do them all within a 24-7 window that we all have? Um, and how, how do I balance that? How do I manage it? How do I choose what I'm going to invest into, what I'm not, what's important for, for today, what's not? Um, and, and that is a tricky question. <laughs> Um, did you have something? No, I was thinking the more complex your life is, the more you're going to have to lean in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, scripture tells us to tune your ear to wisdom. Yeah. Like think of a rate. I don't know if people use radios anymore. I don't know, but you would have to tune into the frequency. Mm -hmm. So the more complex your life is, there's a lot of static going on. The more you have to tune into the frequency of what the Holy Spirit is saying. And that's what I was talking about when you're wall when your world revolves around your relationship with Jesus yeah. first and foremost, then in those times, things come in and out of focus. Like the Holy Spirit says, hey, you might want to focus on this situation with your wife, then focus on escaping to do your passion project. <laughs> you know, like leaning in and tuning your ear to wisdom mm -hmm will help you navigate uh, the complexities of your life. And the more complex it is, the more you're going to have to tune in. Mm -hmm. You know, at least when I was a kid, sometimes there were some uh, radio stations that you, you really had to just kind of inch it into getting, getting the right frequency. Yeah. And so, like I said, the more complex it is, I think the more you have to tune your ear and lean in more to the leading of the whole. Hey, we, well, we always need to lean in, but... Yeah, I think the more complex it is. That was the top of my response for this question was the same as the two of you is let the Holy Spirit lead your life. Yeah, um, I think that goes back to the friendship with God. The more time you spend with him, the more you know him, the more sensitive you're going to be to hearing him. Uh, and when it comes to the rhythms, I think um, so often that solitary time with the Lord can take the back burner to so many things that look more urgent. Mm -hmm. And I just think we can't let that happen mm -hmm. um, because, and, and you know what, you can spend time with the Lord when you're in a quiet room all by yourself or when you've got three children jumping all over you. And I would say a practical thing to do that is start your day with that first. Yeah. So before you get into the, the craziness of life and, um, responsibilities and investments and, you know, complicating, complicated relationships. Just the first thing that you do is to center your heart and your mind on the things of God. And the, it doesn't have to be long. It's just centering yourself with what the Lord is. And, and sometimes, you know, I'll start my day with, okay, what's your agenda today? <laughs> because there are things that I could do, but where are you leading? And that's actually going to be the thing that produces the most fruit. Yeah. Last night, and I just am trying to remember this more and more and more, but that the Holy Spirit is my helper. He is there to help me. But last night I said, Holy Spirit, would you help me get up quickly in the morning <laughs> and not, you know, and that's all I really said. He knew what it meant. <laughs> would you help me get up quickly in the morning this morning? I didn't really think about that, but I woke up. I said, good morning, Holy Spirit. And I got up quickly. And it wasn't until an hour later when I was fully ready for my day. And I go, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> because, um, and I went back, I remembered that I had asked him for help 
the night before. And just the more I do that, the more I see how he's really wanting to be an intricate part of my day, a part of my life, a part of my uh, what sets the rhythm for my day. And so just, just those simple things, it doesn't always have to be this like, hour-long Bible study. If you can, wonderful, do that. But just recognizing that he is always the helper wanting to help us lead the day-to-day moments of our lives um, is so important and so lost on us so much of the time. This goes back to your sermon the other week. You kind of said, you know, why are we going to the Holy Spirit when we hit the wall? Yeah. You know, we should we should start, we should seek, we should ask, we should knock, we should put our attention on the thing before the mess even happens. Yeah. Uh, do we always get that right? No, but I think if we intentionally do that, uh, like you said, it will be a different experience. Yes. Yeah, a better, a much better experience. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Well, it will. Yeah. <laughs> if he's leading, it will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I had just had a couple practical things to this question. Uh, I believe the Holy Spirit is just as much in the practical as he is in the, the super spiritual sounding things. But one thing I think is when trying to, um, to navigate all of it is know your needs, know what you actually um, need in your life. Uh, and I'm talking about things like sleep, like good food, like movement, like um, connection with the people that are close to you. Is that um, kind of like know your limit? Know your limit. Well, like if you over, if you live beyond your capacity, you're only going to be frustrated. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. when you're when your need tanks are running low, mm-hmm. um, it's going to spill out into all of your life. And for me, that's what happens if I don't tend for my needs. Um, then I blow up, make a poor decision, have to clean up a mess. Um, it, it affects my rhythm. It affect, takes me a couple of days to get back on course. Um, and if I just recognized, hey, I actually today my body is so tired. I have to prioritize sleep because if I don't, I'm going to blow up on my kids tomorrow. I'm not going to do good work. Um, and that can be really hard when there's all these urgent or things screaming at you to make it seem like they're the priority. But when you're actually really in tune with what you need, um, it can help you avoid some of those messes and stay um, stay steady and stay in rhythm. And the other thing I would say, and this is just something that I have to tell myself a lot, is don't go down the rabbit trail. And I think especially um, in, in work, in creativity, in, um, in building something, there's so much information coming at us all the time and it's always changing and a lot of times contradictory that for me, like like for example, if I'm writing a sermon, if I'm working on a message, I go to look something up that I just need a quick thing, a quick answer to. <laughs> and then I end up an hour later down this total side road that has nothing to do with the main point of my message. And I just think that I can do that so much um, because I get we can get really distracted with something new or something innovative or something shiny um, that it ends up costing me a lot of time and it's taking away from the main goal, the main objective. So especially if your work is on the internet, which most of us have that, I just think we just have to be careful to keep the main thing, the main thing and not get distracted um, because those thieves of time are really easy to give into. And then we end up at the end of the day thinking, what did I actually accomplish? You know, I I took time away from my, from my family or from my other priorities to do this. And it, it wasn't really productive. So 
You also have to understand that connecting with the Holy Spirit is the most practical thing that you can do. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If I would try to vacuum the carpet without plugging it in first. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to work. I'm going to be frustrated. Yeah. So like I think a lot of times well okay connect with the Holy Spirit. Well that's that's a spiritual thing to do. Yeah, yeah. No, that's actually the most <laughs> practical thing you can do. Yeah. Actually connect to the source of your life. Yeah. And then from that I have the power then ex to extend it on the things that are important to me, the things that I'm uh, given responsibility for. So that that is the first and most practical thing that you can do. Connect in heart, in relationship, in affection towards the source of your life. Yeah. Yeah. The Holy Spirit doesn't just want to help you like ascend above in some spirit realm to see all this. No, he wants to help you like be a good person. He wants to help mm -hmm. you get your work done. He wants to help you be a good friend, good partner, good parent, all the, like he wants to help you in the practical parts of your life. Uh, and yeah, so just recognizing that over and over, it's not just something that we say because we're pastors or we're Christians. I am tasting and seeing the results of this every day as I um, work out what it looks like to actually live in friendship with the Holy Spirit. I've learned when you inquire the Lord and you seek His guidance, it takes the attention off of ourselves, mm -hmm. off of the victories, the defeats, the challenges, what you got to do, what you got to accomplish. And there's something very powerful about placing your attention in an all-powerful God mm -hmm. to do and be for us what we could never do or be for ourselves. So there's something powerful about getting off of quote unquote our agenda and focusing on his. Yeah. Cause he knows how to help us navigate our agendas, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we're not doing this thing alone. He's a friend. Yes, he is. <laughs> All right. Well, question number three. All Didn't right. know if we would get there today, but we're going to do it. We got there. Uh, all right. Different direction. It says, I am a young pastor. How can I establish a culture of exchanging healthy life in my church? So clearly exchanging healthy life is something we talk about a lot here. Mm -hmm. We just so happen to also be pastors, uh, young pastors. <laughs> yes, we are yes, so young. We are so, all of us, so young, such young pastors. <laughs> Um, but we are pastors of a church. And so uh, I think this is going to look different. I think young pastor, Lord bless them. <laughs> bless, bless. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. <laughs> but um, but that to say, everybody's culture looks different. We can speak to what ours looks like, some things that we have done, mm -hmm. um, recognize everybody's everybody's got a different You're gonna have sphere, a different, different culture, different experience. Yeah. Um, but I think one thing for us that was really helpful is um, that we have an expressed code of conduct for um, our for our church. Uh, we just cl clearly say in simple phrases what is and is not acceptable in our culture. And I think um, I've always said that expression is more powerful than assumption. When you actually have clear language for things of how you want your culture to look, it makes it really easy for people to say, oh, okay, I'm... I'm following the culture or I'm not following the culture. One we talk about all the time is that we are a no gossip zone. That's right in our um, code of conduct. 
So we always have, we have a negative, like a, not a negative, but uh, we have a no and a yes. So we are a no gossip zone, but the other side of that is we are a house of validating communication. And so somebody can say and say, okay, am I gossiping? Well, we don't do that here. That's not the the culture of this house. What they do when they leave this culture Mm -hmm. is up to them. But in this culture, that is unacceptable behavior. So am I validating in my communication? Yes. Okay. I fit the culture. So I just think that's a really practical thing that has been helpful for us uh, is that when somebody comes into our church, it does not take them long to know that we are a no gossip zone, not because we're going around policing everyone, but it's because it's part of our normal language um, that we just, that's just who we are. That's the culture we have set. Uh, and that, and people have really adjusted or adapted to that while they're in our culture. Again, who knows what they're doing outside of it? Hopefully they're carrying that culture with them, but in this house, that's who we are. And as, as we do that, we do it by modeling the way. Yeah. Because we only have power over ourselves as a leader. So as a pastor, you have the amazing opportunity to model the culture before the people. Mm -hmm. Whether they do it or not, just like Katie said, we have no power over another person's choices, but we can model it in our own lives. And when something is modeled long enough and people see the fruits mm-hmm. of of the culture you're developing, those that hunger for what you carry will be drawn to you. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but those who do not yeah. desire what you are modeling, you will repel them. Yeah. And you go, so if your whole goal is just to build numbers, you could compromise your own culture. Yeah. This is the way I want my church to be, but I'm so afraid someone's going to leave if they disagree with me. So it's going to take a lot of courage Mm -hmm. as a young pastor to be able to draw that line, be a friend of God, Mm -hmm. uh, know what God's called you to be, what he's called you to model, and hold steady to that course, even if some people are critical of it, if some people are judgmental, or some people want to control you Uh, to move in different directions than what God has given you to do. So model the way, because that is the thing that will really inspire the vision of the people to connect to that. Yeah, to tag on to that, I also had written down that... um, you you do need you are setting the the pace for your culture as the leader of that culture, Um, and and so I think make those things, things that you are living actively. Mm -hmm. But I think on the other side of that is if you or if us as a leader, we slip up in that area, be really open about repentance. Mm -hmm. Um, So if um, just using our no gossip zone. So if I found myself gossiping about someone, then if if I was doing that privately with one person, then I need to be quick to go to that person and say, hey, this is not a part of our culture. I recognize that I made a mistake in this area. Would you forgive me? Make it right. If it happened publicly, then I've got to repent publicly. I've got to say, hey, I did not model this culture well before you. Uh, and so I repent. I'm working on this. I ask for your forgiveness because um, this is the culture that we, not just, I'm not just inflicting it on everybody else, but I am living, I'm leading, I'm modeling. Um, so be really authentic with um, with 
your own leadership in that culture. And I think that builds trust. It mm-hmm. builds consistency. It builds a security um, that when the leadership is walking in that way, just so transparently, um, then it's just going to build and really grow uh, from that place. And I will add that you can't lead something that you don't have already in you first. Mm -hmm. So like you might hear of this culture of this church doing this and be like, that's awesome, that amazing. And then you try to reproduce it, but it's not really established within you. And it just doesn't work because you're not, it's not established in you. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't look, it kind of falls flat. So I, I would say if you're creating a culture in your church, make sure that you are really firm and established in those things yourself. Yeah. I think it is very important, just as you were both sharing very much, that a pastor or a leader uh, being authentic and say, oh man, I really made a mistake there. I think that is huge because that in itself is modeling a culture. Yeah. And I, I did this because I thought it was this great idea, but then I realized, and just going through a very authentic journey with them will really create a beautiful climate in the house where people will recognize, I don't have to come here in here and be perfect, Mm -hmm. but when I quote unquote miss the mark as it were, I will be very quick to take ownership of that. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful culture to develop in itself. Mm -hmm. And it also sets us free as a leader not to have to be perfect. I remember because of my shame, I had to be perfect. And it was just so hard to live that authentically because I'm putting on a facade before the people of perfection when there was torment on the inside of me. And when I was able to come out and be authentic of this is my battles, this is my struggles, this is what God's done in my life, so therefore this and therefore that, it literally connected people who then became hungry mm-hmm. for what I was communicating. And and that's, you know, I don't think we have it verbalized in our culture that we want to be, you know, authentic and real and transparent, but we very much are. Mm-hmm. And it really gives people the freedom to grow and mature and advance and be imperfect, but be a work in progress. Yeah. And that's a really big deal for me yeah. uh, because if someone's looking to me as if when I said model the way, it doesn't mean you're perfect. And I, I'm so glad you brought that in, Katie, because the fact is uh, the more I can acknowledge in my own life that I'm a work in progress. I sure give other people mm-hmm. the freedom to be a work in progress. Yeah. And that's cultural in itself. Yeah. So as a young pastor, I want to give you kind of the scriptural basis for the exchange of life. And you can find that in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Mm. who comforts us in our affliction. So notice this, God is the source who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So this verse charts out the flow of life Mm -hmm. in a company of believers in in a local church or just where people exchange life. So the first thing is God is the God of all comfort. He is the source. He is the original. He is the pattern. And 
the kind of love or the kind of joy or the kind of peace that he offers can only be only come from him. Mm-hmm. I like to say God has a mon- monopoly on what he supplies. <laughs> so if That's we good. are going to exchange life, we have to go to the source. And then it says that uh, who comforts us in our affliction. So uh, we have to then open ourselves up to the source of life. We connect to the source and we know that when God pours himself out, he does it to overflowing. Mm -hmm. Then let's look at the next part. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Mm-hmm. So the comfort that we receive or the life that we receive, now we become a conduit for that kingdom life to flow from me. Yeah. And I know that this verse gets used a lot in the negative light, but out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm-hmm. So when you listen to what you're saying, you can trace it back to the source. Mm-hmm. So when you, like when we talk about the gossip free or how we communicate, what comes out of your mouth reveals the source. Yeah. So we as believers have a responsibility to connect with the original, to connect with our source of life. And then from that, we receive life. And then from that, we then extend it to those around us. So what does a healthy kingdom culture look like? It's a people that are committed to connecting to the source. Yeah, first. it's so good. Second is a people that are connected to heart and covenant, meaning that they're willing to exchange healthy life. Mm -hmm. And so for this to work, people have to be open to be open. Yeah. (laughs) Right. They have to be open to exchange the life. And I have a couple other things to say, but do you guys want to respond to that or well, should I just keep it, on going? It reminds me of, of Moses. Uh-huh. And he said to the Lord, if you are pleased with me. So he's talking as a leader of the Israelites, you know, in the wilderness. It's it's pretty mm-hmm. tough, you know. And uh, not everyone was on the same page with Moses, right? And he said, Lord, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways yeah. that I may know you. That's good. And so as a young pastor, the first thing is you and God. Teach me your ways so I may know you mm-hmm. and continue to find favor with you. And then listen to this state statement. Remember that this nation is your people. Mm-hmm. So for you as a young pastor, remember, Lord, this church, these people are your people. So please be pleased with me and teach me your ways so I would know you. So I would now know how to lead these people. Yeah. And can you imagine the pressure that was on Moses when the children of Israel in the wilderness were doing some of the craziest things, you know, making idols, worshiping idols, just complaining about the manna, complaining about everything. And he goes to God, God, I, I need I need to know your ways so I know you. And what what God did later on, he said he, he taught Moses his ways, but his deeds were towards the people. And so the deeds were his practices, but his ways 
with a path, the habits, the course, the character, the direction. So as a young leader, if your heart is to know the ways of God, so you have a relationship with him, he's going to teach you his heart, his character, his nature, his path, his habits. Mm -hmm. I love that one. These are the habits of God. And if those habits become our habits, we will be able, as I said earlier, to model the way, but also to be able to lead the people in a way that honors God, no matter how they're responding. Because sometimes as a young pastor, there's going to be a lot of older folks who maybe want to give you all their wisdom. And you want to be able to receive godly wisdom, but to be able to stand your ground in what God's called you to be and do. Yeah, I guess to add to the tail end of what you just said there, um, is I do think you got to be careful um, to just not listen to everybody with an opinion, (laughs) everybody with a voice and something to say. I think especially the younger you are as a leader, and I don't mean age, I just mean just experience in that role, but you want to make everybody happy. You want to make everybody okay. You want to let everybody have their voice, everybody have their um, their say. And um, as a leader, uh, you do have a responsibility to set the course of what, your, what that culture is going to look like. Um, for me, something that I know is I love people with opinions. I love when they come uh, and they have ideas. I love it. I really do celebrate it. But for me, if that person doesn't have mm-hmm. um, the responsibility, the if they're not willing to execute that, or if they just don't have the ability or capacity to execute that, then it is a celebrated idea, but it's one that's going to stay in the idea tank for now. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, that's a good way of saying it. And so... <laughs> We celebrate Which it. Which it may never escape from. It, it may never. It may <laughs> Unless never. Unless someone's willing to take the responsibility. Yeah. yeah. But um, just knowing that you just don't have to listen to everybody with an opinion. You can't do it. I, um, we were just talking the other day. There's two areas, I think, in every church that there's just always um, conflict. One is temperature and the other is sound. <laughs> Two very relative uh, <laughs> Very, topics. very relative because I know as the person who controls the thermostat that we have some lovely people who are in menopause and having hot flashes and other ones who are freezing all the time. And so if I listen to one or the other and I, I, would, be, I would be tormented, <laughs> I would not be able to lead well because I'm trying to appease both sides. And this is a very simple, very, but probably relatable example. Um, and so I've just said, hey, um, this is the temperature that we're going to keep it at. You are so welcome to bring a blanket to church with you, or you are so welcome to bring one of those like Southern fans, like (laughs) you please do that. But I have to stay consistent at what the culture is going to be for this house, for this building. And you can relate that metaphorically of saying, uh, Hey, I hear you. Um, I care about you. I, as a leader, I have to set the temperature of this house. And so So here's some ideas. Here's some things that you can try. Um, but, but for the, for the, house, this just has to stay the culture right now. Um, And so it just allows 
you know, to the best of your ability, people to be heard, to be seen and known, give them ideas. But ultimately, you are the one responsible for that culture. So don't be um, the thermometer, be the thermostat and set the, the temperature of the house. An important key for a young pastor is to realize that your responsibility is not to be someone's source of life. Yeah. Oh, so good. What did that verse say? That first, the source is God, the God of all comfort. So as a pastor, I can love, but I am not for sure not the source of love, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Um, I can encourage, but I'm not the source of all encouragement. So it's important for the exchange of life to, or for it to be healthy, there actually has to be an exchange of life. Listen, if like when God pours himself out, he does it to overflowing, Mm -hmm. right? So Yes, we were created to have a capacity, but God always does it in with abundance and to overflow. If we try to do that for people, we will be sucked dry to yeah. the bone. Yeah. And so our job or our responsibility as pastors is to lead people to the source of life. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes a healthy life exchange culture work is that when we lead people to the source of life, then we can exchange life. Um, what did the, let's go back and just read that verse. It's blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts. So we direct people back to the source Mm -hmm. who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So the source is always God, but our responsibility as a church, as a community of people is to keep the life flowing. Mm -hmm. And that's what vessels are. Blood vessels in our body are, they carry the life throughout the body. And so that is what our responsibility is to connect with the source and then exchange that life with those around us. So good. Yeah, really good. Well, are we, ending awesome. when, are we ending with that? I mean, I could keep <laughs> I talking, think so. that but was, I think that, that was, was a good That was a great closure, up. actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So to you, young pastor, you're doing a great job by faith. I'm going to speak that over I was over like, you. How, are we prophesying here? <laughs> yes, I am. I'm speaking into your potential. Um, but... Uh, Hopefully that helped a little bit today. And uh, for you or anybody, if you have any question you would like us to speak into, uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, You can email us at lifeexchangepodcast at gmail.com. And we will do our best to um, answer the best we can. Uh, But if not, just send us a follow-up. We'll answer to that one too, or we'll respond to that one too. So... All right. Did you have something? No. No? Okay. I was, right. Well, I was going to say send complaints to Katie. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I will tell you what our culture is. And <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to Life Exchange. We'll be back next week with more conversation on topics of life and leadership. Until next time, be sure to check out our website at givinglight.org where you can learn more about our church and access loads of resources to help you grow in your walk with God and people. If you like what you heard today, we'd be grateful if you would leave a five-star review and share with your friends. Be blessed. Remember to shine your light and have a great week. Thank you.